Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Culture, climate, engagement, they're all just names for the same thing, right? We'll talk about that today on the podcast. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm joined by Sean McCarthy. Hi, Dom. And Liana Sangster. Hi, Dom. So aren't they the same thing, Sean? No. (laughs) Culture is something that's quite specific. It's quite different than engagement, and yet they are all part of a whole. And I think there's a, a misunderstanding of the relationship between them because people talk about engagement as if they were talking about culture, and of course you can talk about culture as if you're talking about engagement. So a few definitions might be helpful. First is the distinction between culture and climate. So there are two discrete variables, and again, a lot of people confuse the two. So organizational culture is behavioral norms and expectations. So it's about how people believe, so it's beliefs, how people believe they are expected to behave in order to fit in and get ahead, and in some cases simply survive in the organization. So when we talk about culture, we're talking about the behavioral norms and expectations that exist. So when I am confronted with a problem to solve, what are the norms to go about doing that? Is it to keep myself safe and out of trouble, or is it to make the very best possible decision? Is is it to do it on my own? Is it to involve a whole bunch of other people, et cetera, et cetera? And that's quite distinct from organizational climate, but again, they are part of a whole. So organizational climate is a combination of what people perceive going on throughout the organization at one level, and at another level, organizational climate is how people feel about being part of the organization. And that's where engagement comes in. So engagement is a measure of affect, and it's a very good measure of affect. It's a measure of how people feel about the organization in which they are currently working. Do they like working there? Would they recommend it to friends? Uh, would they go out of their way, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So these are all good indicators of how people feel about being part of the organization. But that's not the culture. The culture will cause that engagement. We know that scientifically, that culture impacts engagement, and engagement is an outcome of culture. So you can have certain cultures and certain engagements in a number of different ways. So if we just work it through maybe as an example, so say like we did a podcast just recently that you can listen to on toxic cultures. And so, you know, people see see and feel bullying, for instance. Yeah. So that would be in the climate that they've seen and feeling that? Yeah, the perception is that there are certain people around here that can get away without with doing anything kind of thing. And so where's the culture in that? So the culture is what's creating that behavior, that's sitting behind it in terms of the expectations and norms. So then as we see certain people can get away with anything, the norm here is that you don't do anything about it because the last person that raised it you know, committed career suicide kind of thing. And so that's the behavioral norm. So when we're talking about changing culture, we're talking about not necessarily reducing bullying per se, but reducing the expectation that you put up with it. And so where you see it, where it occurs, you name it, and you can report it, and you can expect, again, this is the culture, you can expect that something will happen about it. So therefore, the bullier will be punished, for want of a word, in some way. And so therefore, it become clear as part of the culture that bullying is not acceptable, it's no longer a, a behavioral norm. And so you reduce bullying as a consequence of changing the culture. And so is it the same with, if we take another example, so collaboration or something? Yeah. So people working together to solve problems and involving others in that. So that would be, again, the thing we see. So it'd be the climate. Yeah. And so what's the cultural underpinning of that? 
Well, again, it comes back to the beliefs in the organisation. It's a belief about whether or not you should involve people in decision making, and it's what's the what's expected of you. So when when I, as a manager or a leader, and I have a decision to make, is it expected that I'm sort of able to take responsibility for that myself? Am I seen as being weak if I get other people involved in part of that process? Is it expected that the decision is made by 2 a.m. tomorrow morning? Or can I take time and therefore, because the quicker the decision needs to be made, the more I'm likely to do it on my own. So if I'm given time and space to experiment and try, and then of course the ultimate is what's the expectation if I fail? That if I make the wrong decision or I make a bad decision, and I've always said there's only a good decision by hindsight. Uh, so we manage with mitigating risks with decision making. And so what's the expectation that if I make a bad decision or a wrong decision, what will happen to me? So it comes back to this whole broader sense of culture as what gets reinforced, i.e. rewarded and punished in the organization. And so in the, that example, if the engagement aspect then is around how I feel about that, yeah. so I feel... You know, we're involved yeah. in decisions, so I feel yeah. good about that. Yeah. But it's really what you're saying is that it's an outcome. So Yeah, a really good example and a very simple example would be sort of hours of work. So mm. at, in a perception part, I might have to say, I have to work really, really hard here. Mm. I have to spend long hours at work. I have to come in on the weekend. I may not even be paid anywhere near what I think I should be paid. And this is where the, now the difference occurs. And the culture sucks and my engagement is very low. On the other hand, I can have to work 24-7. I can think that I'm not paid as well as the people down the street, but the culture is outstanding, and I uh, am challenged. I'm given the opportunity to excel. I'm given the opportunity to strive. People are supportive and encouraging for me in my role, and I have high engagement. So what we find is the, the value set, the belief set, the behavioral norm set, if you like, intervenes between what people see and how people feel about what they see. It's not, and leaving the culture bit out is you're assuming that the feel is a consequence of what people see, whereas in fact it's more a consequence of the behavioural norms that govern how they interpret what they see. So does that mean, you know, the same action in different organisational contexts and different cultures will actually have different outcomes? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So what about, you know, from what I'm hearing, it, it all kind of fits together. Yeah, yeah so as, as, as I keep saying, it's all part of a whole, and you don't look at these things in isolation. And that's one of the problems, I think, with the current interest in engagement is that all too often we look at engagement in isolation from everything else, whereas, in fact, it's part mm -hmm. of a big picture. So what's the risk in doing that, Liana? Well, I was just thinking, I really like that example of the hours of work, you know, because you think about being in a business where you you feel forced to work versus when you feel you're individually motivated and you're you're excited by the prospect of achieving. I guess one of the sound bites, if you like, that seems to land with people when I think about engagement and, and talking to leaders about it is that you can have a highly engaged team but still be low performing. And so that seems to grab the attention yeah. of leaders. So when we talk about all encompassing, it's looking at a very narrow view of what it is to build a successful, sustainable company. So give me an example of how you could have a highly engaged organization, but they're not actually performing. That's a really good question. I'm thinking about a client at the moment who have built great friendships and long-lasting kind of camaraderie with their team, but the organization is bound by a lot of rules and regulation. And so the quality of the output for their clients is low. And one of the challenges to that is that they don't feel they have a lot of influence, but they're all having a great time at work. 
So they're enjoying themselves, but what they're actually ending up with in terms of an output is a sort of suboptimal product for their people because of the the lack of influence they perceive they have over changing things and influencing the way things are, I guess, ultimately done with their customers. But they're having a great time. Yeah, I think it's also important at this stage that we're, you know, we're not saying engagement's wrong or a bad thing. It's very, very important, but it's not an isolation. It's part of a whole. And so you can very easily, in fact, have an organizational unit or a small organization where it's a fantastic place to work because it's all about social relationships. And so people love working there. Their engagement is high, but it doesn't necessarily mean to say they're achieving high targets or challenging goals. I've heard people say before that, you know, with with high engagement companies, we often think about, you know, perks and so on. So, yeah. you know, I've got, I don't know, my dry cleaning gets done, there's a gym, we do the, the ping pong, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But that ultimately the best perk in the world is solving, you know, difficult problems with talented people. And I guess all the all the ping pong and stuff in the world, if you can't make decisions and you can't actually, you know, solve tough problems and so on, then yeah. it doesn't matter how much ping pong you have. Yeah. Actually, I wrote a blog years ago called prisons have ping pong tables too right <laughs> and because because they do so you literally you can play ping pong you can play basketball there's probably yeah. cable tv all that kind of stuff but you have no autonomy you can't make decisions and mm. so it's it's no fun right yeah. it sucks yeah it's interesting i've been working with a couple of startups over the last few years and just observing the nature in which they operate their basis is on solving a problem to pick up your point dom there so they are the ones that come to mind are They've identified a problem in the market and the people that are building this company around this problem are all motivated by solving this problem. Uh. And so that in itself and the way that they start to build the culture within that team is, I would observe, as a highly self-actualized collaborative culture in itself at the moment. Less simple to kind of create that in larger businesses, but it is an example of how you can cultivate those behaviours around a common goal, a common interest of solving a problem. Sean, what about people who say, you know, high engagement equals high performance? And that's often cited. What would you say about that? Well, hopefully it does. Most of the research data is of correlational by nature. And so there seems to be a very strong correlation between high engagement, high performance, low engagement, low performance. But it's important to understand that correlation does not necessarily suggest causation. And so because the two variables correlate, all it means is when you get one, you get the other. So it could be that the high engagement causes the high performance, but equally it could be because the high performance causes the high, uh, sorry, the high, yeah, it's the high performance causes a high engagement. And it's encapsulated in the throwaway expression, everybody loves playing for a winning team. Uh. Simple as that. So we need to look at causational research and uh, that's where culture comes in because we know from statistical process, procedures, regression analysis, and all that sort of fancy stuff, that uh, culture is causing engagement. We can actually see that. And importantly, over time, we can see as culture changes in an organization, so too to important outcomes, one of which would be engagement. So we often hear from clients or from companies out there that you know they've, they've done engagement surveys in the past, but they've been able, unable to move it. Yeah. So... I guess that's part of that correlation. So we, we see it, but we, we don't actually know how to move it. So what could they do, Liana, to start moving the dial if they wanted to increase engagement? And ultimately, what they really want to improve is performance, I would hope. Well, in short, you would measure culture, I think, uh, is what I would be suggesting. 
what I notice with clients with the the engagement is that the intention is really there because they're looking to you know they're looking for a metric that they can I guess pulse check on how different parts of the business are are traveling and so in its intent it's it's I suppose it's good if you want to use that terminology. What I find though is that companies then need to take that data, that engagement data, and then go and have a whole bunch of focus groups or conversations to determine what's underpinning all of that. And to me, it sort of feels like a bit of double handling, although it's, you know, you've asked the question and then you've kind of asked the question again in a different format. So in a short answer, I would say measure the culture. I don't know if you've got anything to add on that, Sean. Well, I mean, that that's the business that we're in. So of course, that's what we would suggest that you do. And we're in that business because it's what we believe you should be doing. I mean, it is an issue, as, as Dom points out, because if you look at the uh, the main providers of global sur- uh, of, uh, engagement surveys around the world, and they're very easy to find on the internet, is the, the various studies that showing that globally engagement is in decline. And given the fact that that data is based on the organisations that are using their tools to measure engagement, suggests that there's not a great deal of change coming out of that. So I think first important thing to think about would be to recognize that engagement is a symptom. It is an effect rather than the cause of that effect. So it's a bit like, I mean, to use a potentially horrible analogy, is you have a boil on your arm, you may lance it and get rid of it and put a poultice on it and cure the boil, but really all you're doing is dealing with the superficial issue. The underlying issue is a vitamin deficiency of some description. So we should be looking at the vitamin deficiency, and that will stop boils from coming back. And that's the relationship between culture and engagement. So again, I iterate, it's not about not looking at engagement. It is an important part of the deal. Uh, But you're looking at an outcome, you're looking at a symptom. And of course, you can't create change, a lasting change at least, by only looking at symptoms. Yeah. You need to understand the why ultimately. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So it's looking at those fundamental beliefs that are actually driving the thing. And I think what was really interesting at the start of this conversation, you talked about how or maybe it was Liana talked about how you can see the same the same action can be interpreted yeah. quite differently depending on what the fundamental belief is driving it, yeah. right? So it could be the same thing, but send quite a different message. And so yeah. if you're only looking at that climate level, at that yeah. engagement level, you see the action, but don't actually know why or what's yeah. driving it and yeah. therefore what message it's reinforcing. Yeah, so we, we would recommend that organizations take a, a whole approach to the organization system and that is about looking at the climate, looking at the culture, looking at your engagement, seeing the interplay between those variables, and identifying the cause and effect relationships as part of that, good research behind that stuff, and then identifying that we are here because we have been doing it this way, mm. so if we want to be there, we need to do it differently in this particular way and focus on that. Yeah, it's got me thinking actually about one of the, a business I used to work with had uh, were trying to increase the number of women that returned to work after having children. And so a lot of money was invested in building, they were observing that women weren't returning to work. And so they created things like networks events and to encourage that kind of, I guess, that warmth and integration back into the business. But what they didn't address was that in the work itself, the work was so demanding and if you weren't able to reach the demands of the clients 24-7, that you would be moved sideways off projects. And it simply was impossible for these women returning to work to uh, do both roles. And so they would move. So all these different things that we were investing in to try to drive up the return to work weren't actually addressing the core issue because the core issue was that there were unreasonable expectations of work placed on people at certain levels, which is why we were losing them. 
And so it kind of, I guess, that plays into yeah. that same analogy that you need to address the reason why at that root cause. And it's about addressing the system and the whole system, and it's important for people to think about the organisation as a system. And uh, one of the interesting things with systems theory is unintended consequences. So mm-hmm. when you change a part of the system, other parts of the system initially respond and not necessarily ways you'd expect them to respond. So very good illustration, it's very topical here in Sydney at the moment, is uh, infrastructure issues. So we build lots and lots of apartment buildings in a particular part of town, but we don't put new roads or new rail systems in to support that. So all we've done is we've created housing for a few thousand people, but we've created traffic jams for the rest of the city. And that's what's known as an unintended consequence. So you need to think of the whole city. If we're going to build an airport of badgeries, then we should make sure that there's lots of parking, there's lots of train services, lots of motorway services, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when we look at organisations, we tend to do what the infrastructure people should not do, and that is look at things in isolation. So mm-hmm. given this discussion is around engagement, we look at engagement. It's like we're going to build a new airport, but we haven't thought about what the motorway is going to do or what the traffic's going to do to go there and back. So it's taking in that whole view, the holistic yep. view. And I guess that's even from not just the, the systems and structures and whatnot of the organization, but also from that, how does the climate impact the culture and how does yep. the culture impact the yep. outcomes? Yep. Um, one of those outcomes being engagement yep. and taking that whole view into account. Fantastic advice, guys. I thought that was a, a great conversation. Some of the takeaways I got from that was around some of the differences between culture, climate, and engagement. So culture being about the underlying norms, the underlying expectations of how people are expected to behave and the beliefs that drive behavior. The climate is what people feel and see going on and observe. And the engagement is around how people feel about that. So how do I feel about that as an outcome at an individual level? So satisfaction, motivation, that kind of stuff. But really that it's all linked through. So if engagement is an outcome, a symptom, and the underlying cause that's driving it is yeah. culture. And if I just might add, lastly, it's as a researcher, I can only encourage people to look at the cause and effect relationships between things and look at the research that underlies it. So be, be somewhat careful with correlation research because, as I said earlier, it doesn't suggest causation. And there's what's known as a spurious correlation. So a very good example of a spurious correlation is a few years back, some young graduate student I can't remember the state in the United States that it was, but let's just pretend it was Indiana for the story. Measured the number of babies that were born in Indiana and the number of stork sightings that occurred in that state over that same period of time and actually found a correlation between the number of stork sightings and the number of babies being born. So the logical conclusion is, but of course we all know that that's farcical. <laughs> I saw I saw a similar one with, I think it was the release of Nicolas Cage movies and people drowning in swimming pools. And so, so it implies that Yep. People didn't like Nicolas Cage yep. movies, I well, suppose. Don't go swimming after watching one of his movies. <laughs> no, oh, that's right, yeah. So um, I think that's a great note to end on. I'll, I'll share that link to that website as well on the podcast yep. page if anyone's <laughs> interested in looking it up. Yep. So thanks for your time today, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Tom.